Welcome to the Sanction Space podcast. I am Justine Walker, Global Head of Sanctions, Compliance and Risk at ACAMS. This series brings you the stories behind sanctions. And this week is our ACAMS Europe conference. We're in Brussels, entirely in person, and we've been truly humbled and honoured to be joined by two advisors from the Office of the President of Ukraine, Alexander Rodansky and Markian Klutkovsky. Alexander, Markian, welcome to the podcast. It is our true honour to have you here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Alexander, you're a presidential advisor and member of the dedicated working group Sanctions Policy within the Office of the President. What does this really mean? What do you actually do in this working group? That's right. So we coordinate sanctions. We give out proposals on which sanctions should be imposed. We write policy briefs about the types of sanctions that could be imposed, the way they should be imposed, sectoral sanctions, individual personal sanctions, and we monitor the progress that's already been achieved. And in terms of all of this work that you're doing, you delivered a really powerful presentation to the conference. I've seen actually some of the LinkedIn posts and people said that they were nearly in tears listening to you. Can you just highlight a few of the messages you shared with us in Brussels? Yeah, well, that's great to hear. I hope I didn't put anyone into tears. But I mean, we were talking about serious topics. And um, I was just mentioning that we have two key priorities. As I mentioned, we have sectoral sanctions that were imposed and that need to be imposed further because they have the potential to deprive Russia of its ability to finance the war in the short run. Russia's budget is reliant on energy 45 to 55%, depending on the year. So we need to impose energy sanctions. And that happened to some extent already, but it needs to continue happening because we're still waiting for gas, for example. And then there is other type of sectoral sanctions. So Financial sanctions, these are linked to the energy sanctions in many respects because the transactions happen through banks for energy imports to Europe and so on and so forth. And then there's personal sanctions. These are also very important objectives for us because we want to make sure that we target the criminal elites that have over the years undermined Russia's institutions that would have prevented this war in the very first place. So we want to make sure we seize and arrest their assets and lay the foundations for a potential transfer of those assets or the funds that are available from those assets to the reconstruction of Ukraine. And then we want to make sure that we impose sanctions uh, for some time because we want to dismantle the oligarchic system that led to this war. So that's the priorities I spoke about in brief yesterday. Alexander, thank you so much. Um, Markian, I want to turn to you because the stories here are all about human stories. And there was something you shared with us yesterday. It was really about your journey from Ukraine to Brussels. Explain to listeners, what did that journey look like? What does it look like now compared to what it used to look like? Oh, yes, the journey was long. We used to be a quick hop on a plane from Kiev to Brussels. Now takes uh, 17 hours of driving, two overnight stays at the hotel. A flight, a bus trip, an Uber, and that got me to the conference where I was yesterday. So it's really long and in many ways uncomfortable. But frankly speaking, that is the least of the inconveniences and the difficulties that we in Ukraine have to face, people in Ukraine have to face since the start of the war, because that has really quite literally changed our lives, uh, put it upside down, and we just uh, have to deal with that. I mean, thinking about that, in terms of the imposition of sanctions, what does it really mean to you personally, your family, the people of Ukraine? How important do they think sanctions implementation will be or is? 
Sanctions are extremely important to state the obvious. Uh, I mean, Russia is waging a massive war on Ukraine, um, and it is not that war is not only limited to the areas in the eastern Ukraine right now where fighting is uh, going. It's everywhere. Uh, I was uh, speaking at a roundtable yesterday, as you know, when my phone lit up with uh, notices of airstrikes in the western Ukraine, some thousand kilometers away from the front lines. Uh, so really no place in Ukraine is, is safe from that perspective. It's a war uh, and we use every possibility to counter that war. And sanctions are in many ways another front line to use sanctions as a tool to limit the ability of Russia to continue with this war, limit the ability of Russia to escalate again after this war is over. That's why it's important. I know sanctions are everywhere in Ukrainian life in the, in the sense of being in conversation around the kitchen table. Everybody is, uh, quote-unquote, a specialist on sanctions, complaining why the sixth uh, EU sanctions package came so low and why it is so um, uh, so weak, so to speak. Um, so, yes, yeah, sanctions are important. That is so important for us to hear just how everybody is really focused on sanctions. And Alexander, you spoke yesterday about the increasing pressure on Russia and why this is so important. What do you see as the main priorities? What should be sitting on the top of the list for the US, the UK, the EU governments in terms of sanctions escalation? Where should things go to now? Well, when it comes to sectoral sanctions, the elephant in the room is energy sanctions. And we know there's still much more that could happen here, in particular when it comes to trade between the EU and Russia. Gas hasn't been touched so far, and that is obviously a big problem for us because at current gas prices, Russia is earning incredible amounts of revenue, and that gives it a comfortable buffer to keep financing the war effort. So we're asking for an embargo as soon as possible, but if that's hard to implement, then at least there's some intermediate steps that could be taken and that are not taken yet or are not really discussed. So there is a possibility of introducing a price cap. There is a possibility of introducing an import tariff on gas, in other words, taxing gas, or introducing escrow accounts that would necessitate the transfer of funds into these accounts and Russia wouldn't be able to uh, receive them immediately or for some special purposes only, like humanitarian goods. So all of these things are compromise solutions, if you want, uh, rather than just introducing an embargo, and they're not really discussed. Um, we don't see them being discussed. So that is an issue, and we hope that's going to be addressed soon. At the end of the day, it's all about reducing Russia's surplus revenues, its profits that it's generating. And so all of these options would be feasible solutions to that. The other big priorities relate to financial sanctions. That is related to what I just mentioned, because Russia is consistently being disswifted in terms of its banks, but it hasn't been disswifted entirely yet, precisely because these transactions for energy happen through lots of these banks that need to be part of the global system. And so you can't really separate one from the other. And then finally, I would say personal sanctions are very important for us, targeted personal sanctions. We need to make sure that we adjust legislation in the West or try to do that as soon as possible so that we can seize these assets and transfer them to our reconstruction fund. Thank you. And Markian, Alexander's just mentioned the reconstruction fund, and you've been appointed to the working group, which is looking to establish legal mechanisms for compensation. Can you explain to us what does this really mean? How can sanctions be transferred? How can they help to rebuild Ukraine? What is this process going to look like? 
mechanism of compensation pursues a fundamental rule in international law that an illegality such as this war of aggression should require reparations or compensation to be paid to the victim of the war. And Ukraine has set about to establishing this mechanism that does not yet exist. We seek to establish a forum where everybody who has suffered from this war, who lost uh, property, damage, lost life, lost loved ones, could submit claims for compensation. And of course, these claims have to be funded in some way. And we uh, have no illusions that Russia is very unlikely to participate in that process voluntarily. So we aim to leverage the assets that are located outside of Russia's borders, uh, particularly in the Western jurisdictions in Europe and the US. To fund these claims, we look at assets of Russia as a state, sovereign assets, such as central bank assets, and also the assets of private individuals, the oligarchs, as we call them. The idea is to seize them and and use them as a source of compensation. That brings um, a number of difficult problems, both legal and political. But this is one of the things that we are working on, uh, on the sanctions front, because the purpose of the sanctions is not only to... Uh, put cost on Russia for everything it does in Ukraine, but also to set up this confiscation or seizure process, building on determinations that the states have made about proximity of these assets to the Russian regime uh, that became the basis for their blocking or freezing. So we want to build on that. And there are encouraging examples around the world that this thinking is going in that direction. Can I just ask a little bit more on that, the examples and some of the thinking? What sort of response are you getting from the international community on this? Are people open to the dialogue? Are they actively looking at it? Are they still just thinking about how this may work? Where are we at in this process? So the conversation is certainly ongoing about it, and it's ongoing on both political and technical levels. Uh, We see statements from high political offices about the need to use Russian funds for the purposes of reconstruction or compensation of Ukraine. Uh, And it's clear that work needs to be done to make that happen just because this war has presented so many unique legal and political challenges to the world. But there are also some practical steps taken in that direction. We know of a bill that is now in front of a Canadian uh, Senate that uh, I understand is expected to be passed in the near future that does take that step uh, forward from using the sanctions regime to block the assets, to use the same logic to seize and confiscate the assets, both state-owned and private, uh, in instances where these assets are linked to violations of international law and human rights. So we hopefully will see that as a precedent, as an example that other jurisdictions will follow to make that happen. Alexander, if I may, on the sidelines of the conference, we hosted various closed public-private sector roundtable discussions. We had one yesterday, which brought together governments, the private sector, to really look at implementation effectiveness. Where were the gaps? How can we improve things? Where are the challenges? Today, we're going to be looking at humanitarian aspects and really some of the really challenging issues around how do we make payments into certain areas of Ukraine? How do we deal with things like food security, etc.? What stood out to you most from these discussions? What, what were the key standout elements? Yes, so that was very interesting to listen to these discussions because in many respects, when we do our work in the sanctions group, we think about these big picture Priorities. We think about the types of sanctions that need to be introduced, the types of 
policy that needs to be implemented. And we don't really think too much about the details of implementation, the challenges of implementation, the actual execution of it, the difficulties that arise in doing that. So this was very interesting to hear from you know actual practitioners and market participants how this happens in reality. And so for me, it was interesting to hear about the risks, the trade-off between the litigation and compliance risks that many people face in the industry and in finance in particular, and how you can make sure that you follow regulation on the one hand and the sanctions that have been implemented and mandated on the part of the governments. And on the other hand, you want to minimize the risks that you don't comply necessarily, but then perhaps you'll be there'll be a lawsuit coming uh, because of because of litigation risks and so on. You know, there's a question about how do you really draft these laws? How do you put them in place in order to achieve what we want to achieve, but also minimize the costs for the private sector and for financial industry in particular to, to implement them effectively? So that was very interesting to listen to. One of the elements which came up during both the roundtable discussions, and we're going to discuss it this afternoon when we're looking in more detail at humanitarian aspects, but in the conference itself, there was a question posed to you. It was basically around grain exports. It was around global food security, and you shared a very good response. And I think you know people were really interested in hearing that. Could you just say a few words around food security and some of the concerns which there are at the moment on this particular really critical topic. Yes, absolutely. So what we see happening is that Russia is threatening the world with a hunger crisis and with a serious food shortage and grain shortage that will lead to a hunger crisis. And the reason they're doing that is they're asking for sanctions removal, the lifting of sanctions in return for you know removing that threat, essentially, and letting our ships pass through the ports of Odessa. So that's what's happening. That's showing that Sanctions are, you know, very important for Russia. They're having a very strong effect on Russia's economy. And the Russian regime has a very strong interest in getting rid of these sanctions. So rather than relieving Russia of the sanctions, we should be increasing them because Russia doesn't have any plans to stop conducting the war. In other words, so as soon as they show some signs of, you know, willingness to change their attitude when it comes to Ukraine, then we can talk about potentially lifting sanctions further down the line. But we're not going to give them any new instruments to blackmail and extort anything out of the world. But everybody should be aware of that because it is in Russia's interest to use food security as a weapon, unfortunately. What they're planning to do is not just cause a food and a hunger crisis, but potentially provoke a new wave of refugees that would then storm to Europe and distract Europe from what is happening in Ukraine. So if you can't be strong yourself, you have to weaken your enemies. Simple logic. That's what Russia is trying to do. And everybody should be aware of that and act accordingly. And finally, both of you, Markian, I'm going to ask you first. In your mind, in terms of sanctions, risks and effective implementation, what should the international community be most focused upon at this stage? So as this war rages on, the sanctions should continue to be developed to apply them more broadly and more deeply, for the lack of a better word. But it, it is clear that, that Russians will try to to evade them and to foresee all the ways how, how they can evade and circumvent them is a little bit like explaining hand to Europeans. 
The challenge is uh, in trying to be agile in both imposing the sanctions and implementing them, uh, closing the loopholes that can be used to avoid them, and really promoting the necessity of compliance with the sanctions regime, not only in the, in the sense of following the letter of the law, but going above and beyond what is required to really make sure that the targets of sanctions are suffering from them and not using both true and tested tools and some novel uh, instruments to, to get around them and lead their activity. Alexander, from your perspective, what would be City, what should be at the top of the international community's agenda here right now? Yes, so like we mentioned I think the elephant in the room is energy sanctions, so that needs to stay at the top of the agenda. We need to think of ways that we can increase pressure when it comes to energy, because that's really where Russia is getting the funds necessary for the conduct of this war. That's number one. And as I said, there's intermediate things that could be done. It doesn't necessarily have to start with an embargo. It could be a tax, it could be a tariff, it could be an escrow account things that reduce the profits that Russia is getting. And the other part is secondary sanctions. I think we need to also make sure that the sanctions that have been imposed are not you know, avoided in some way, that Russia doesn't avoid these sanctions or try to circumvent these sanctions. And we need to impose some costs on other countries, you know, third parties if you want, places like Dubai or Turkey or even some countries in Asia that are now benefiting from the influx of Russian funds that is going there and they're seizing the opportunity because of what is happening in the world. So we need to make sure that they don't see this moment as an opportunity, but rather we impose costs on them in order not to do that and actually join the sanctions regime against Russia. Because if that doesn't happen, the war will go on and we will prolong the war. So that's something that we cannot afford to do. So... Sanctions escalation, rapid escalation, effective implementation are all sitting there on the table. Alexander Markian, thank you so much. What you've really highlighted is just the incredible importance of sanctions escalation, effectiveness and dialogue. I do hope listeners have found today's discussion useful. If you want to learn more about sanctions we've been discussing, then visit our Ukraine Rapid Response Hub on the ACAMS website. We will also be issuing some further follow-up papers from this week's discussion so you can see in more detail what we've been discussing, where we see some next steps and how we're going to move forwards. Again, Alexander Markian, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us.